LinkedIn presents. In terms of imposter syndrome, I very much do think that it is the messages that we get from society about who we are, where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, whether we belong or we don't belong. And it's we're filtering that through our own level of confidence, basically, our own level of assuredness in the work that we're doing. And I completely lacked confidence at that stage. I'd never read a business contract. I had no idea what these terms were that they were throwing at me. And I truly wasn't even really confident that I could deliver on what I was proposing for. <laughs> um, you know, but I had the the gumption to go after it anyways. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey, creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios, Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. So make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Alicia M. Pennington, an athletic trainer with her company Advantage, turned business consultant with her company Pennington Perspective. Alicia's the first person on this show that I've heard talk about becoming an entrepreneur out of necessity. And she first did it by creating a business out of one of her hobbies. We talked about those particular challenges, as well as the struggles translating success from her first business into trying to have that same type of success in her second business. And we also talk about how she's managed to work through imposter syndrome for herself and for her clients. Business is born out of necessity. And for me, it was a selfish necessity. I had graduated with my master's in 2011. And a lot of people think of, um, you know, the Great Recession as ending in 2008, 2009. But economically, our country was still impacted well into 2014, 2015. So Mm -hmm. I was graduating into a job market that had crap for options. <laughs> um, it was very difficult to find to find work that aligned with what I wanted. And so I started doing professional freelancing as a sports medicine professional. And this was before the gig economy was a thing. You know, there was no B&Bs or, you know, um, Uber. Instagram wasn't even a thing when I graduated. (laughs) Um, And so the idea of a gig economy and working as a a full-time freelancer was pretty novel at the time. And so as I started finding work for myself, essentially, I was soliciting myself as an individual athletic trainer to different soccer clubs or volleyball tournaments or universities that just needed, you know, one-off support. And I identified a need both on the client side of it. So all these soccer tournaments, volleyball um, gigs, universities, club sports, all of these things that were going on, they were looking for athletic trainers that would just come and work for a tournament and leave. Um, And simultaneously, there were athletic trainers, other people like myself, that were open to gig work. And I know as I say this in 2013, it feels really obvious, like, duh, you know. (laughs) Um, But again, like this economy, this idea hadn't really been birthed yet. And so um, I kind of merged myself into that space as an advocate for my profession of 
looking for, you know, proper working conditions, getting appropriate wages, um, asking for what we really needed as healthcare professionals that just showed up on any given day to work with any given population, um, which is pretty, again, novel. Um, and then, you know, also to educate clients and, and help them understand what does it look like to have a healthcare professional just show up uh, and work with any given demographic, any given uh, work condition and situation. Um, and so, you know, I, I found a niche and it became, you know, really successful for us, but it really was birthed out of just, I needed work. And so <laughs> I went and hustled and, and, you know, found an opportunity for myself and thereby for others. Are you a former athlete yourself? <laughs> Yes, actually, I was a gymnast growing up. Nothing competitive, no Simone Biles over here, but <laughs> um, I'd say more recreationally, I, I did. I was a gymnast. Yeah. Is there a particular reason why you want to stay in that? And I ask as somebody who was a former athlete, like like you were saying, I'm not wasn't a LeBron James, but I was, you know, playing basketball, yeah. even recruited low basketball, uh, you know, D1 schools. But at the same time, I never wanted to work in that profession because that was also my creative sure. outlet and also my stress outlet. So, yeah, like what made you actually want to go into work in that same space? I love this question. Um because small tangent, uh, as a consultant, we talk with a lot of people who are looking to professionalize their hobby. And it is a it's a it's a decision that you have to make where you're taking, like you said, that creative outlet and you're starting to monetize it. And that comes with a lot of pressure. Um, so this is this is a really great question. The answer is um Growing up, I didn't actually know that like sports medicine was a thing. I had never been exposed to it. Uh, when I went to school, um, I did my undergrad at Florida State. Go Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was actually declared social work as a major. And my, my mom has a healthcare background, but she her work was always in a hospital. And the hospitals just felt too too sterile for me. I didn't want to be indoors. Um, when I went to school, I really was looking for a profession where I could help people, but I didn't work a traditional nine to five. Uh, and social work was, you know, kind of that solution for me going into school. And interestingly enough, I was waiting, you know, like at, at freshman orientation, I had, um, like declared social work and I was waiting for my like informational meeting to start. And prior to social work going up and presenting, they each did like little 10 minute presentations. Sports mm -hmm. medicine was up there. And I was like, wait, this is a thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am an athlete and I love sports. I was raised around them. Football was always on in our house. My brother was a huge Chicago Bulls fan. So basketball was on. Um, we were always outside playing, doing different sports stuff. So I loved the idea of combining medicine, um, but being able to do it in the field, right? Like out on the sidelines, being outside. So it kind of provided me that uh, solution of helping people um, and even being able to work in healthcare and also not having the traditional nine to five, being able to be outside. Um, so that's kind of what drew me to it. And then I think what kept me there is a lot of times in healthcare, you're dealing with people that are sick or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And with 
athletic medicine, you're dealing with people that are looking to get better. Um, and that is a whole different demographic demographic and population that is very motivating uh, to be around every single day. So um, that's kind of like what what kept me there. That's interesting. So it's like, yeah, you're you're obviously giving something to your clients, these teams that you're working with, but at the same time, you're mm-hmm. getting something back too. Like you're feeding off of their energy and their motivation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so gratifying. You know, in one aspect, you're a part of a team, right? So when you work in athletic medicine and you're in a traditional setting working with a sports team, you're there for the highs and lows. You know, you're there for two a days preseason. <laughs> you're there when they lose the game. You're there when they win the championship. Um, and so you get that team aspect, which again, as a former athlete, like to be able to be able to, to be able to relive that over and over again is again so fulfilling. Um, but then to be on the back end of that team, you know, to be on the supportive side where you're ensuring that they are able to reach a peak performance or you're getting them from an injury to a rehabilitation to back on the field. Um, it's very gratifying. I mean, selfishly, you know, um, and I, I think a lot of healthcare professionals feel this way, you know, getting someone, you know, for physical therapists, you know, back out into their activities of daily life or, you know, for a nurse or somebody to be able to get someone out of the hospital. Like, I know that a lot of healthcare professionals do uh, feel this way. Um, but really for, you know, the athletic medicine, it is very performance driven and return to play. And, again, as a former athlete, like it just is, um, it's very gratifying, but again, like you said, very motivating on a day-to-day basis. Well, I'm sure too, like you're working with a lot of people who categorize themselves as high level athletes or their parents categorize them as, as, you know, a high level athlete or somebody who is aspiring to be a professional, which I think also comes with its own level of stress that they put on themselves or, or that their parents put on them, which then translates into you as that trainer, you know, helping them to get to where they want to be or need to be. You know, yeah. have you had situations where you kind of, you know, maybe maybe not butt heads, but maybe the the goals that they're trying to reach, <clears throat> they don't feel like you necessarily got them there. And, and you know, now, yeah. Have you had a situation like that? And how do you work through those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in any like personal relationship, but professional relationship too, there's always going to be a, a deviation of what someone thinks is best. Um, and each person has their own motivations, right? So the parents are going to have a motivation. The coaches are going to have a motivation. The player will have a motivation. Us as the athletic medicine team, we have a motivation. And as with any personal or professional relationship, you have to find the the common ground there, right? So oftentimes, you know, we're kind of pinned as the bad guy, like the one that wants to keep them out of play or is holding them back, is restricting them. We understand the physiological um, activities that are happening within the body, whether it's, you know, injury recovery or rest or whatever it is. And you may not always be able to see that outwardly, whether it's an ACL reconstruction or a concussion or, you know, just a sprained, a sprained ankle. Um, we are trained to know physiologically what's happening in the timeline associated with repairing and restructuring and, you know, whatever's happening. Um, and again, like, you know, parents may not see that coaches may not see that they're looking at different timelines. They're looking at scouting reports. They're looking at the game that's coming up, the playoffs, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, I think to an extent, um, we run into this every day. It is an, it is an aspect of our job. Uh, and even, you know, I think as myself on the business consulting side of it, it's an aspect of our job there where there's just 
everybody has their motivations. And if you're trying to work collectively to achieve the best outcome, you have to find the common ground that keeps the coach satisfied, gets the parent what they want, gets the player what they're after, and you're still keeping them safe. Um, And again, like putting my business consulting hat on, it's very similar. You know, we want to try to get them where they want to be while avoiding, you know, the, the divots in the road, basically. (laughs) Um, And so it's, that's, it's the same type of conversation that happens there where it's like, you know, we know where you want to be. That's your motivation. Mm -hmm. We know how to try to get you there. That's our motivation. How do we find the common ground where, we all can collectively achieve what it is that's best. That makes sense. And you just mentioned you know, the business consulting. So what then led you from you know, AtVantage you know, with your work there to then now doing the business consulting with Pennington Perspective? Yeah. So, you know, in the staffing company, we had really early success. Within four years, uh, we had reached a million dollar mark. And wow. um, yeah, it was... It, it really was, you know, and I, I don't think that I understood the gravity of that. It wasn't until I started getting into the business consulting side of it and I saw um, how difficult it actually is to scale. Um, so friends and family and and kind of colleagues started to see our success and they were asking us for advice. How do I get started? What are the steps that I take? Basically, how can I replicate your guys' success? And it was very straightforward for us. We had systems and processes in place that felt very obvious for us. Uh, I don't have a background in business. My husband, my boyfriend at the time, uh, was helping me with things. His background is in journalism. Um, and collectively, you know, like we have arts and science degrees and <laughs> we, you know, managed to, to do this. And so when we started helping friends and family, we realized there is a replicable aspect of what we did. It, we just have to be able to take it out of our brains, put it down onto paper um, and translate it in a way that makes sense for other people. And so in 2016, 2017, we started doing that just for like close family and friends that wanted to start a photography business or a floral business. And again, at the time, we didn't realize that the work that we were doing was translating across so many industries. Mm-hmm. Um, in our mind, we were just doing what we did and helping other people do it. And um, we kind of got better at articulating our our why and our how. We came up with different methodologies and frameworks um, that made that made explaining it and understanding it a lot easier for people. And so in 2020, um, we started officially kind of a a consulting business. um, And we all know what happened in 2020 (laughs) with that. So I'd say officially, we kind of launched it in 2021. Um, And again, like it it was mostly birthed out of, I guess, partially necessity because we were repeating ourselves a lot. People would ask the same questions over and over again. And so we figured well, why don't we just write down once, you know, what our response to these questions are, make a course out of it, um, get it where people can, you know, kind of study it and do it on their own time. Um, And then it started to become more customized from there, doing very in-depth work inside of other people's businesses. And just, you know, we've done this, uh, we've worked inside other people's businesses dozens of times now. We've helped hundreds of people start their business and we've learned that it's just it's 
it's actually very simple. <laughs> it's not easy, um, mm-hmm. but it's very simple, right? And so um, we've kind of translated the work and the success that we've had with the staffing company and what we continue to learn there. Um, we're at over 10 years, 11 years of owning that business, multi seven figures now. Um, and we just continue to extract the principles of what we do there, whether it's leadership or it's building a team or outsourcing and doing different hires, um, keep extracting that and finding foundational principles that we can translate into other industries and help other people scale. Well, it also sounds like, yeah, there was a lot of lessons that you obviously learned from your first business. And, and mm-hmm. obviously your boyfriend at the time, husband, sounds like he, you know, he had a lot of lessons that he was bringing over that really kind of started the basis for what Pennington Perspective was. But were there, was there still a learning curve for you all, you know, as you all were trying out, you know, this new business, uh, this new business kind of framework? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, you know, so I just kind of assumed that because we had early and easy success with one, we would have early and easy success with another, right? In theory, it's, Mm -hmm. we'll just do what you did once, do it a second time, and you'll have the same results. (laughs) (laughs) We both can laugh at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, that's not how this works. And, (laughs) um, you know, I think even just the industry difference. So when we went into the consulting business, we found ourselves in the online industry, which is, uh, you know, the wild west. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, very, uh, you know, just uncharted and un, um, unregulated. Very <laughs> fast really paced. Like things are always changing algorithms, all these things. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of noise if I'm honest, just a lot of noise and both noise as the consumer, um, but noise as the consultant too. like to, to break through how much noise is in the online industry to try to stand out um, was and still is incredibly difficult. And then as someone that is working in the online industry and consuming information from it, it's also very noisy. And um, by noisy, I just mean a lot of opinions about things that, uh, in my opinion, I guess, worked for somebody. And they're then trying to say, it will work for you, which, again, in theory, kind of sounds like what we're selling. Um, But I guess the difference that I found is, is like one person would have really uh, good success with one technique, one tactic, one way of doing something, whether it's post seven times a day or be in the DMs or sell, sell by storytelling, like all of these different techniques and tactics and all this stuff. There's a million different ways of, you know, doing that stuff. Um, and I think what, what we found is that the marketing piece of it is really, uh, I guess what, what feels noisy Um, And so what we had to figure out, again, in our own marketing of the work that we do is that that's kind of like the sexy stuff that everybody wants to talk about and sell, Um, you know, different techniques and tactics and quick wins and fast ways to, you know, get to the front of the line or to press the easy button. And the work that we do is like the really unsexy stuff. It's, you know, building frameworks and identifying service suites and developing a business model and like and so once we kind of started figuring out that like we don't sell and we don't do the sexy stuff and that kind of 
is what we need to sell. <laughs> mm-hmm. We need to sell that we do the unsexy work. Um, it helped us find our footing a little bit better and to be able to communicate more effectively how we're different from what is being sold online, I guess. Um, but it's still, it's it's hard. It's, it's really, really difficult uh, to sell online. And I think the biggest thing that we learned there is with our first business, we used personal relationships and that was how we grew so quickly. It mm-hmm. was colleagues and peers that I had worked with, that I had met, that I had had trusting relationships with as a working professional that were hiring us as an agency or friends that were choosing to work with us as a staffing company. When I went into the online world, I don't have relationships with any of these people, right? Like I'm trying to get them to buy from me and they've come across my profile, you know, five minutes ago, five days ago. Yeah, you're starting Um, from scratch. Literally starting from scratch for an entire relationship, right? And so all of these techniques and tactics and things that you see are about trying to forge a relationship with people as quickly as possible to get them to purchase from you. And that just, it didn't resonate with us. But it took us a while to figure out that that's actually, you know, what was happening. So, oh my gosh, the learning curve, it's still happening. You know, we're two years into the the consulting company and I can only say this to you now, having figured this out maybe six months ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you're starting, when you're, you're like banging your head against the wall, like what is so different? You know, why like inherently we understand that, that the industries are different, but we're the same people. We're approaching yeah. it the same way. Why is it not working? Um, and so finally, you know, once we reflect and we can articulate these things like, okay, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the unique things about Pennington Perspective and how you all approach, you know, your consultation work is that it's not just about, obviously a big part of it is growing the company and and hoping that, you know, people are successful and can reach whatever goals they're trying to reach, but also, it seems like you all focus a lot on the personal goals too, of, you know, having personal freedom uh, at the same time. So yeah, how, I guess, what was that intentionality there for you? And and how do you help your clients find that? Oh, thank you for asking this question because it's our why, you know? So um, we, like I said, we have science and arts degrees. We never anticipated going into business ownership, but it has been one of the greatest opportunities of our life. And, Um, It has completely changed the trajectory of what we saw for ourselves, what we've been able to make available to our family, um, what we've been able to provide back to our profession and and to colleagues. Um, And so a big part of our why in doing the business consulting is to help other people achieve the level of freedom that we've been able to. And that's financial freedom, that is freedom in purpose, freedom in fulfillment, freedom of time, freedom of your energy, your creative space. And I know that for, you know, for anybody out there, like it can, it can look different for everybody. The how Mm -hmm. of what this manifests into is very different. And that's where we kind of take that customized approach. Um, But truly, if, if entrepreneurship or business ownership is on someone's heart and they feel called to that, we want to be able to provide them the infrastructure to be successful in it. Because, I mean, truly, it has changed our lives. It We have um, just a level, a, a life that we like literally pinch ourselves every day. Like we didn't, 
you see other people living this, right? And yeah. and you want it for yourself, but you don't really think that it's possible. At least we didn't. Um, yeah. And to be able to live this every single day, I just think one of the greatest opportunities for us is to be able to pay that forward to other people with what we've learned and what we've been able to, um, like I said, kind of build into frameworks so that other people can have this. If, if Like I said, if, if entrepreneurship, business ownership is on your heart, here's the infrastructure, you know, to make yourself successful to, to, to do that. Was there, and obviously you've said we a lot, obviously, we, you know, talked about your former boyfriend, now husband, you know, you all have created these businesses together, you know, have there been, you know, especially cause you also are focused on your personal uh, boundaries and space and, and freedoms, you know, for your clients, but also as you probably intentionally did that for yourselves, were there certain things that you had to set up, you know, knowing that you're going to work together, but also have this personal relationship together to make sure the two don't bleed together too much. And, and that there is just a healthy set of boundaries there. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, again, in any personal or professional relationship, boundaries are really important and role delineation more specifically um, on the professional side of it. Honestly, even kind of on the personal side of it, too, of like, whose responsibility is it to take the garbage out? Whose responsibility (laughs) is it to change the diaper? Whatever it is. Um, And yes, you know, we we had to figure this out as we went and we very much stumbled into it, if you will, of we're both trying to do everything and then we realize nothing is actually getting done. Um, But I I think that early on we figured out that we have different strengths. And again, we didn't have the words to articulate this at the time, but I am very much the visionary. I have the ideas. I can build business models. I can see the version of what this can be. And my husband is very much the integrator. Like he can execute in very fine detail on things. And it's funny, like we would butt heads a lot early on because I would come with an idea and he would question it. Like nitty gritty, (laughs) you know, and and I always felt offended. Like he was um, tearing down my idea or like poking holes through it to try to... um, you know, I guess tear down the feel. Yeah, the discourage was, you. Yeah. 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 Like he only sees the problems in it, none of the opportunity. Um, but through a lot of communication, what we figured out was he's trying to figure out how do we execute on this? Like yeah. it's very, it's the exact opposite of tearing it down. Like he actually is really excited about it alongside me and is trying to in real time figure out how to execute it. Um, but what we had to come to was, when I bring you an idea, it's very raw. Like I haven't thought through any of those details. And when you come to me with that level of questioning immediately, I get discouraged, right? So it's it's the distinction between you're trying to, di- to discourage me versus I feel discouraged, right? And yeah. there's a distinction there. Um, and, and like you said, not letting that bleed into our personal lives of, are you discouraging me, you know, because of other reasons? Do you have ulterior motive? Like just, you know, mm-hmm. your brain, it, the, the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Um, and so, you know, people ask us, like, how do you turn off the business and, and do the personal? I'll admit, like, we'll talk about business in bed and we'll talk about personal during a business meeting. Like, it, <laughs> it, like they very much blend into themselves. But in terms of our feelings, we're able to um, identify like 
what is what and and communicate more effectively on um, the roles of each other. And I think then from like an execution or like a practical day-to-day application, I have my jobs, my responsibilities, and it usually is taking ideas out of my head, getting them down on paper, you know, whether it's a blog post or content idea or the next phase of, you know, a course or an offering, whatever it is, I'm, it's my responsibility to get all of that out and to be able to um, get the ball rolling. And then it gets passed on to him. He then goes through, adds detail, looks at logistics, where are we going to host this? What does it look like? What's the timeline? Da, 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 da. So, Again, the role delineation is really important to make sure that we're not like stepping on each other, basically. Yeah. Um, and that we both feel empowered in the work that we're doing. Um, but also understanding that like my job starts here, starts and stops here, and then his job starts and stops here. Well, I really like how you explain the communication behind the role delineation, because I'm very much like your husband in terms of like, I, I call it like I'm the devil's advocate. I'm always asking a million questions. I clearly got it from my mother. I, it's funny, like I hated my mom doing it to me, yet I do it to everybody saying, else. As did he. Yeah, he got it from his mom. So he's like, she gives, she grills me on it. I'm like, that's how I feel. Yeah. But like, I, I feel like you know, obviously we're talking about it in relation to, you know, you all being married and in a relationship. But also, I think that's the same just for any, you know, people that you're working in business together. Yeah. Like anytime we hire a new person, I always explain to them, hey, I'm going to ask a million questions. This is not yeah. me saying that this is a bad idea. If yes. anything, it's like you said, I'm actually really excited about it. And I'm just trying to fully understand where you're coming from so I can feed into that as well. But the totally. fact that you, you were able to then say, well, this now negatively affects my own uh, excitement about the idea I brought to you. Like, let's approach it a little bit differently. I think that's really important and something that honestly, you know, I should talk to my own team about like, Hey, let me know if the way I'm coming across to you is discouraging your momentum, your creativity. Um, because yeah, I don't want that to be negative on them. Like we should be able to work cohesively and, and stay both excited about this great idea. Yeah. I think it's, you know, we need to hold space for the way that each each person approaches this. And so for yeah. them, if when they're freshly bringing the idea, it's like, I just need to be excited in this and like, I'll just leave it right here. Right. And then I need to remove myself. I need to, then you can go in and with your own excitement, tear it apart, you know, but like <laughs> yeah. tearing it apart in front of me hurts my feelings. So, <laughs> you know, and then I can go back and, and this can be like on a Google doc. This can be, you know, there can be any version of this. Um, but I need to be able to like almost remove myself from that, you know, poking holes through it, uh, aspect because I get personally offended by you poking holes through my brilliant idea. Um, But it's necessary, right? Each of these processes is very important to actually bringing an idea forward or bringing, you know, an offer to market or whatever it is. And it's beautiful that you have different minds that can approach it and can add diversity of thought to, you know, that research and development aspect of whatever it is. Um, Because if everybody was you know, kind of in like group think, you know, like if everybody's thinking and doing the same thing, when it goes to market, it's going to be crap probably, yeah. or you're going to deal with that feedback from the customer and then it's going to hurt even more. Yeah. And you've spent um, more money on it at this point too. Most Absolutely. Likely. Absolutely. And so, you know, again, putting my business consulting hat on, like that's a lot of what we bring to the table for people is 
everyone thinks that their idea is brilliant. And, you know, in their own ways, it is like, I'm going to pet and I'm going to pet and pat your precious little idea. (laughs) That's cute, you know, but okay, now we need to actually, you know, um, put a bulletproof vest on it before we push it out into the world. Because, you know, the reality is what others think of it is very different than what we think of it. Um, It's just like our children or our home or, you know, whatever's whatever is precious and endearing to us is not necessarily precious and endearing to other people. Um, And so doing our best to manage our own expectations before it goes out into the world um, and to communicate that. Right. So whether that's with our team or um, before we bring an idea or an offer to market, um, just putting it through the rigors. um, But also, like we said, holding space for whatever that looks like for you while your, your precious little idea is being torn apart. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen you also, you know, sometimes talk about imposter syndrome is, you know, that's Mm. something you've personally experienced. And also, I'm sure with some of your clients, you have that, like, how do you, how have you worked through it? How have you helped others work through that as well? Yeah. Imposter syndrome was really prevalent for me when I started my first staffing company. Um, Again, there were stories that I told myself that I am, a 24-year-old girl that is, you know, trying to go after multi-hundred-thousand-dollar contracts. I'm standing in front of school boards, um, you know, trying to convince them to pay me some chick, uh, you know, who started some business um, uh, a lot of money and to trust me with the health and well-being of their student-athletes. And the thing I tell people is... Um, related to imposter syndrome that those were stories that my brain was making up. There was never a moment in time when someone said to me, what do you think that you're doing here? Or that a school board member ever said, so, you know, who do you think that you are? Or, well, how old are you anyways? Or Hmm. like, nobody ever said that to me. Like, in fact, it was my own, um, my own brain, you know, that was, that was saying those things to me. And so in terms of imposter syndrome, I very much do think that it is the messages that we get from society about who we are, where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, whether we belong or we don't belong. And it's, we're filtering that through our own level of confidence, basically our own level of assuredness in the work that we're doing. And I completely lacked confidence at that stage. I'd never read a business contract. I had no idea what these terms were that they were throwing at me. Um, and I and I truly wasn't even really confident that I could deliver on what I was proposing for. <laughs> um, you know, but I had the the gumption to go after it anyways. And so imposter syndrome for me, and I think for a lot of people, really is an indication of you're going after something that's a little bit scary and keep going because it, the only way through it is through it. You know, the only way to get on the other side is to actually go through it and um, building both the confidence, but the resilience that even if you're scared or even if you feel like you don't belong, Mm -hmm. actually showing up anyways is the way to get through that. Um, eventually you will train your brain to recognize that you do belong in these spaces or you can change that self-talk 
to be more of, even if I don't bo- feel like I belong now, I can belong or I, I, you know, I can find a sense of ownership in this space. Um, and so, you know, I kind of have like a, a three-step method where first I identify that I'm having those thoughts. Um, and then I kind of like, you know, stop those thoughts and I speak truth to it, you know, like what have I done to, to be in this room, to be in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, kind of speaking truth to it helps those kind of fear monkeys jump off my back. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have to be so consumed. They don't have to control me. Um, I can be in control. And for me, that is kind of speaking truth to it. So, um, and the speaking truth is reminding myself of my background, of my degrees, of the work that I've done, of, and it's not even just like the achievements. It's also just why I want to be here, why I'm, you know, advocating for this, what my belief is about what this could be. Um, and, you know, eventually you get through it, but in every new level that you reach, it's going to flare back up. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, it's imposter syndrome for me. It's perfectionism for my husband. I think for all of us, it emerges and manifests as something a little bit different, but it really is just fear of of not belonging in in that space um and we just kind of have to show up for ourselves and invite fear to ride alongside us with it (laughs) (laughs) well as you said like you've gotten to the other side of it and it's not just about the achievements but i also do want to hear about the achievements like yeah what are some of the great things going on uh personally business-wise like yeah what, what are those wins going on for you right now oh thank you for asking um well, we were named to the Inc. 5000 list last year in our staffing company. And that's huge. That Congratulations. Was huge. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, when when we set out in business, we never had the idea of making a bunch of money or having, you know, achievements or anything. And we tell our other business owners, like, if you don't chase the money, the money will come. Um, and if you don't chase the accolades and the achievements, um, they will come. People will notice. And a lot of times when you just put your head down and you're focused on your why and you want to serve other people and truly solve a problem, all of the rest of it takes care of itself. So, you know, we were at 10 years of business ownership and to get that Inc. 5000 acknowledgement was huge. You know, like it's, again, something that we never sought after, but to get it felt very... um very accomplishing, you know, it, 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 As yeah, it very accomplishing. Yeah. Um, I also joined the Forbes business council, um, which again, a huge achievement like Inc and Forbes, like these are names that you associate with high caliber business. And for, you know, a girl with two science degrees, you know, I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should be. Those are huge names, huge brands that you that obviously want to work with you and want to have yeah. the name recognition of working with you. Like you've, yeah. you clearly should be patting yourself on the back. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think for someone that has um, historically struggled with imposter syndrome to accept that compliment and to accept that um, achievement, it goes a long way for uh, training my brain to see that I'm valuable and, you know, what I have to offer is what other people want. Um, it it goes a long way for, for someone that has struggled with that historically. 
Um, I think another achievement is, you know, the speaking side of things. I, I love being on stage. I am, I can be very gregarious. I, I love doing these kinds of interviews. Um, and, you know, being able to get in front of people and speak passionately is something that I love doing. And I've gotten um, more and more opportunities to do that. So that's a huge achievement. Um, and, and actually, that reminded me, we didn't even touch on your podcast. Just tell me a little bit about the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I do a podcast specifically aimed at athletic trainers, so sports medicine professionals, and it's the intersection of business and athletic training. Um, the initial seasons of it were really focused on business ideas that can be applied to the everyday um, aspect of an athletic trainer. So, you know, budgeting and inventory and leadership and, you know, personal and emotional management. Uh, and our most recent season that we're releasing in, in real time uh, is really focused on the entrepreneurship endeavors of sports medicine professionals. So really walking them through how to identify if, uh, you know, entrepreneurship or business ownership is for them, and then how to endeavor down that if, if it's something that they identify within themselves. So um, ours is seasonal. And so this latest season, I think is like seven or eight episodes. Um, and it's just myself. I, I write and record all of them and they're released for continuing education, uh, within the athletic training profession. So it's kind of a different style of podcast. Um, it's not, you know, a traditional interview, it's not <laughs> ongoing, um, but I've really enjoyed it and and it's been a, a great resource for uh, professionals within the athletic training profession to be able to um, go and, and utilize on their own. And that's called the business advantage, right? Yes. Um, and I, I, I took us on a quick tangent while you were telling me more about the, the win. So, I, you know, please go back to that if there were more uh, that have been going on for you all. Um, you know, the only other one I was going to mention is that we just had our second baby. Um, ah, we nice. have, yeah, we have two little girls, Tatum and Sloan. Um, and, you know, I'm in the thick of postpartum right now. As we record, mm. I'm seven weeks postpartum. And my toddler is going to have me throw myself over the bridge. <laughs> Um, you know, parenthood is, is, is very, very challenging. And, um, as a result of going through this a second time, I felt very called to sharing more about the intersection of parenthood and business ownership. And so I'm leaning more into that in our content in, in my own social media. Um, and I think moving forward, sharing more about, that journey and, you know, kind of the questions you've asked here, like, how do we do role delineation? What does that look like as a husband and wife um, that are also parents and business owners? Um, and so, yeah, I, I imagine that moving forward, our content will just include a little bit more of that instead of just the focus on business ownership. But, you know, it's it's a win as as well as a struggle. And, and I'm okay with those two being um, you know, hand in hand at the moment. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, I'm sorry, we didn't have more time to focus on that. But also no the fact that you are doing a lot of that on your social media and other places. Yeah, let us know where we can follow you so we can get more of that and, and all the other things that you're doing. Yeah, my Instagram is mostly where I hang out. So um, it's at it's Alicia M MP. So I-T-S-A-L-I-S-H-A-M-P. Um, 
in LinkedIn. I, I know that you're um, on LinkedIn as well. And admittedly, yep. um, my LinkedIn game has fallen off since baby came, but hopefully <laughs> building that back up um, <laughs> when I get a little bit further out postpartum. But Alicia M. Pennington is um, my my LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, uh, otherwise, you know, we're sharing a lot on our blog. So PenningtonPerspective.com. And we have a, a newsletter, a weekly newsletter um, where we share a lot of this information, stuff that's different than on the blog, different than on social media. Um, and so anybody who wants to see more of that kind of content, I would definitely encourage them to, to join our newsletter. Thank you, Alicia M. Pennington, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. I really hope to have Alicia back on the show at some point to talk more about how she's managed to run a business while going through postpartum depression, as you heard here at the end of this episode, as I'm sure many of you out there have faced similar challenges. You can learn more about Alicia's work and learn more about her struggles and how she's overcome them by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything entrepreneurs struggle. We're doing monthly live events, so make sure you're following me on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike DuBose. Thank you for the support from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Mm